0: Welcome to the Doubles Only Tennis Podcast, where you learn the best doubles strategies to improve your game and win more matches. I'm your host, Will Bocek. This podcast, my website, and my weekly newsletter all focus on the goal of better understanding the sport of doubles and helping players like you improve faster through actionable advice that you can use in your very next match. My goal is to provide the best doubles strategy resources in the world. And to do that, I study, analyze, and work with players at every level of the game, all the way up to the ATP and WTA tours. If you enjoy this podcast, I've created double strategy products that go even deeper if you want to take your doubles knowledge to the next level. At the end of this episode, I'll explain more about them, or if you want to learn more now, go to thetennistribe.com products. Here's today's episode. Today, I'm gonna be answering your questions in this Q&A episode of the podcast. This is the first time I've ever done this on the show and I'm really excited for it because I was reading through all of your questions earlier and they're questions that I feel like I get all the time from club level players that I love revisiting because I can point you to further resources and I can also continue to try to Develop my answer and kind of refine my answer to these questions because uh, my opinion on these does change over time and I'm able to kind of articulate uh, the best tactics or the best strategy in a different way um, each time that I do answer these. So um, I'm going to go through five questions today and then in part two, I'll answer more of your questions. So if you submitted one and didn't get your question answered today, um, look out for part two coming soon. And if you want to submit a question still, you can go to thetennistribe.com slash question, and I will answer um, your question in a future episode. So let's dive into uh, these five questions that I've picked out today. So uh, number one is from Alan. He is a four zero to 4.5 player from Canada. Uh, and his question is about framing his volleys. So he says, I'm a 4-0 to 5-0 player, and I still frame my volleys on high forehand poaches and attempted putaways. I've tried catching the ball with my strings, and for the reason I see double, I imbalance. And when I thought for sure it was going to hit my strings, the ball ricochets off my frame and either goes out or sets up the opposing net player for their putaways. I'm never going to poach the due side returner again if this frame shot keeps happening, backhand volleys have fewer errors when poaching the ad receiver. Should I catch the ball later or more in front of my body since I'm right eye dominant and I'm right handed? So Alan, I hear your frustration. Um, Thankfully, I do have a uh, what I feel like is a pretty good answer for you. So this is actually something that I struggle with myself. Um, On my forehand volleys, uh, I tend to miss them on the bottom uh, right part of the racket, if you're kind of staring at me. So um, down near the throat and then a little bit closer to my body. So it's it's bottom left part uh, from my perspective. Um, down near the throat, closer to my body is where I tend to miss my forehand volleys. And sometimes I miss them off the frame too. Um, luckily, there is a, a training aid and I don't typically recommend training aids because I think a lot of them are a bit gimmicky, but uh, there's a training aid called the Functional Tennis Saber that has helped me a lot with this. Uh, And I'm going to send you, I'm going to email you a link. And then for everyone else listening, I'm going to put it in the show notes. Um, This is one of my uh, favorite training aids on the market. And again, I I typically don't recommend training aids. Um, I don't use a lot of them. And what it is, is a 37 square inch tennis racket so it's a very very small racket head and it gives you immediate feedback as to where you're missing on the strings so the problem I've run into and it sounds like Alan you're having a similar problem is you're just hitting the ball off center and the problem if you have let's say a hundred square inch frame um, because the racket face is so big you're still able to get away with it a lot of the time. But with this functional tennis saber, you are forced to find the sweet spot and you're forced to make the proper adjustments because you cannot get away with an off-center hit with this racket. Um, So what you're going to do is go out there with the saber, practice your forehand volleys for five or 10 minutes. At first, it's going to feel terrible. You might even totally miss the ball eventually you'll start hitting it off the frame and then you'll make the right adjustments and hit it in the center of the strings with the saber. And what you're doing is you're kind of rewiring your brain to, um, to get the proper relationship between the path that the ball is taking and your tennis racket. And once you get this right with the saber, you can switch back to your normal racket and you'll start to hit it in the sweet spot a lot more consistently. Um, So you'll want to do that on a consistent basis, especially early, probably five to 10 minutes uh, each time you play before you step onto the court or before you um, start using your normal racket. Uh, And then it's going to help you make that connection so that you find the sweet spot a little bit easier. And you can use this racket to practice um, really anything. You can play a whole match with it. Um, so you can serve, return, forehand, backhand, volleys, overheads, and it really helps you find that sweet spot. Um, I'll also say, Alan, for me, my forehand volley is easier to catch in front. Now, this is probably player specific, so I, you know, I do see some players who like to hit their forehand volley a little bit more behind them, um, but for whatever reason, it's easier for me to catch in front. I think because I tend to miss it. Um, At the bottom, kind of left part closer to me, if I catch it in front and hit it kind of across my body, um, I'm less likely to let the ball kind of get too close to me, Uh, and I think that's what makes it easier for me. But um, experiment with that. Try hitting it out in front more. Try hitting it a little bit behind more and see what works best for you. But I do think uh, this Sabre training aid can help you out a lot, Um, so I will send you a link to that. So let's move on to question two. Uh, this question is from Dan from North Carolina. Um, it is about 7-0 mixed doubles against defensive teams. So Dan says, I recently played a mixed doubles match, 7-0 combo against a very defensive team. They refused to hit with pace, and whenever we added pace, they hit high, mostly deep lobs. We could rally back and forth, but eventually we'd get too aggressive and miss hit. Any thoughts on playing against consistent defensive lobbers in doubles? feel like I can move them around and leverage it more easily in singles. So I have a lot of resources on this, Dan, um, that I will link to in the show notes. Um, I have a podcast episode. So if you go to thetennistribe.com slash podcast and search for lob, um, you'll find that episode and you should definitely uh, listen to that one. I've also got a YouTube video on it. Um, If you just type into YouTube how to beat the lobber in doubles, you should be able to find it there. Uh, but I'll go over um, my thoughts on this here with you as well. So the first thing with lobbers is we really have to stay patient and not miss. So the way they beat teams, um, even if it's not a lobbying team, if it's a defensive team that just hits the ball slow and plays consistently, they beat teams by... The other team missing, right? Like they don't, they don't actually beat you; you beat yourself, and that's how they win matches. So we have to really stay patient until we have a very easy ball. Um, what I've done in the past with partners against teams like this is we've said to each other, "We're not going to go for a putaway shot unless we're within five feet of the net. So if we're closer to the net than we are the service line, that's when we can go for it." Otherwise, we're going to stay patient knowing they're not going to hit a winner, they're not going to beat us. So we can just always play one more ball back. So I think that's the overall kind of best strategy. Now, how do you set that up? How do you set up these shorter balls from within five feet of the net against a team who's really good at lobbing? The first thing I want you to think about is what is your ideal position with your partner? So Typically, it's going to be best to play one up, one back against a team that lobs. The back person needs to be pretty mobile. They need to be able to run the baseline. Uh, If you can put your stronger net player at the net um, to finish the point off, that's ideal. And then think about which side of the court you're on. So I like to rally from the ad court a little bit more so I can hit inside out forehands and inside in forehands when I want to. If you're more comfortable rallying from the deuce court, maybe you put your net player in the ad court so they have a forehand volley in the middle, but talk about that with your partner and figure that out. And then you can play um, two back when necessary and then the other person goes to the net. Um, I would do that typically with my partner. So on my serve, I would play two back and I would serve in volley because I was the stronger net player. So think about your ideal kind of one up, one back position. Get into that position, whether you're in a return or serve game, and then stay patient and figure out how to draw uh, the short ball or the ball for your net player to poach on. So, to figure that out, um, we want to ask a few questions. So, which opponent is weaker? So, if there's clearly a weaker player on the court, obviously we want to target them. Uh, then, also, do they have a side that they prefer to lob from? So Most players are better at lobbing from either their forehand or their backhand side, Um, but you can figure out which one's a little weaker and try to attack that a little bit more. Um, And that's really important uh, on the serve as well. If you can serve to their weaker side where they leave the lob a little bit short, uh, then that can be very, uh, very helpful. Can you also bring them forward? So it might be best, a lot of lobbers love to stay back, play from the baseline or behind the baseline and kind of hit out on the ball um, up high, deep through the court. So if you can bring them to the net where they're less comfortable, you're more likely to uh, get a weaker ball. A lot of players, you know, if they're running forward, trying to get to a ball that's around the service line area, they're going to have a lot more trouble lobbing off of that than if they have kind of a routine backhand or forehand from the baseline. So see if you can bring them forward. Another thing that I've found effective in the past against lobbers is to play through the middle of the court. So if you play, uh, it can be deep through the middle or even a short slice through the middle, it kind of takes away their angles. So they're not quite sure what to do. If you play deep to the ad court, for example, and they have a backhand, they're able to hit a really high deep ball cross court because they have a lot more court to work with. So if you can play them through the middle, sometimes that'll work. This is all kind of opponent uh, specific. So it really is going to depend on the player um, or the team that you're playing to figure out what their weakness is. But everybody's got weaknesses, even defensive teams that lob and you have to kind of experiment, especially early in the match to figure out where their weaknesses are and what your ideal position is on your side of the net so that you can kind of match those two things up and develop the right tactics to come away with the victory. And then the last thing I'd say is uh, just practice. In a lot of cases, if you're playing a more defensive team, you might have all the right tactics. You might have the perfect strategy, but if they're just really, really good at that, then it might be a just a skill level or a technical issue. So, Practicing your overheads is super important and it's something that players don't do enough. Uh, For me, I like to, if I have an overhead from closer to the baseline, uh, I like to hit more of a slice shot. It's almost like a slice serve, but it's a lot easier than a serve because you have the entire court to work within. So uh, think about practicing your overheads, practicing hitting the ball against slower paced shots and All of that kind of will help you develop uh, the right shots to beat a team that's more defensive, to beat a team that hits the ball slower, or a team that lobs. So our third question is from Jennifer. She's a 4-0 player from Berkeley, California. And she's asking about uh, how to play with a partner who doesn't quite know what to do with the net. So she says... In recreational tennis, I often get paired with partners that don't know where to stand at net or even how to move up there. They let balls fly by that are theirs. I find myself flat-footed because I'm thinking they will take it and don't. How can I set myself up and leave out the net player? I know also I need to be better at being scrappy at the baseline. So Jennifer, I wouldn't think about figuring out how to set yourself up and leave out the net player, That's um, that can work. But the ideal scenario in doubles is you're working with your partner uh, to, to work as a team together to win the match. So one uh, podcast episode I would listen to is the episode with Jorge Capistani. Um, if you go to thetennistrive.com slash podcast, you'll uh, find it there. And He talks a lot about partner team chemistry. Um, He calls it partner mojo. And then there's actually a link in the show notes to 20 questions that he has new doubles pairings ask ask each other before they step onto the court. And that will help you get to know your partner before the match. Uh, You don't have to go through all 20 of them, but pick out the ones that you feel like would work best for you. Uh, But the big thing is just knowing your partner's game and working together to try to figure out a game plan that's ideal. So if they are uncomfortable at the net or they don't know where to be, uh, you should talk to them about, you know, should we play two back or do you want to use I formation or Australian formation? It might be the case that they're letting the ball go by from the ad side because they don't like their backhand volley. But you might be able to use Australian formation on the ad side so that they have a forehand volley in the middle. And then that kind of self-corrects for you. So that's something to think about, uh, using different formations and really knowing your partner, figuring out where they're comfortable. Another question I would have for you is, are they a much weaker player? So if they're letting the ball go by because they think you're the stronger player and you should be hitting more of the balls, then that kind of creates a different scenario. Um, so in, in that case, uh, a lot of times you'll want to put that player really close to the net and maybe even hugging the baseline while you are kind of scrapping around, as you said, uh, from the baseline to try to win the point. I've, I've done that in the past. Um, back when I was a 4-5 player and I played 8-0 tennis, uh, I would have a 3-5 partner and I would put her... Uh, really close to the net. And when opponents went at her, she had decent enough hands to to get the ball back. So they would quit going at her and they would go at me. And since I was typically playing against two four O's, I was able to win that rally uh, from the baseline and, and kind of run around at the baseline um, to win the match. So if they're a weaker player, uh, that's something you have to think about. But regardless of skill level, you really want to get to know your partner before the match and ask them, questions uh, to figure out what is ideal if they're totally uncomfortable at the net bringing them back to the baseline maybe you serve in volley or return in volley Uh, if they don't like a particular volley like i said try a different formation Uh, but talking to them about it before the match before you even see them play uh, and addressing it up front can make it easier not only to to execute a good strategy during the match but also easier to talk about during the match so if you've had that conversation beforehand and then you come to the match and then they let the ball go by them you'll know that you've had that conversation you'll feel more comfortable saying was that one that I should kind of be ready for or should we try a different formation so that they can't hit that ball through the middle you can kind of continue the conversation during the match rather than if you didn't say anything before the match And then during the match, you say, oh, I felt like that was yours. Should we make any adjustments? Then at that point, they might get offended or um, be a little bit upset. So kind of creating that open dialogue before the match can help a lot, uh, I find. So hopefully that helps. Um, If you have any follow-up questions on that, definitely um, shoot me an email, and I'd be happy to uh, answer them for you. So question number four is from James. He is an intermediate player from London and he actually has two questions. So the first one is about playing against a heavy hitter and a weak partner. He says, how do you play doubles against one heavy hitter and his weak partner? So James, I've got some follow-up questions for you. Um, The answer really is it depends. So are they the best player on the court? That's my question for you. Uh, if they are the best player on the court, it changes. If they're just better than their partner and they're a heavy hitter, but you can kind of hang with them, um, it's a little bit different. So I'll talk about each of those scenarios in a second. But regardless, uh, at some point, if the two players on the other side of the net have a very different skill level, if one of them hits the ball really heavy, they hit the ball really hard, they're a much better player, the other player is a lot weaker, at some point you're going to have to go at the weaker player. But you have to determine when the right times to do that are. You're constantly kind of weighing the odds and figuring out when to take that risk. Because you don't want to miss and you don't want to give, even if they are the weaker player, if they're up at the net and they're still a decent player, Uh, You don't want to give them an easy shot. So you have to constantly kind of weigh the odds on, is this the right time to go at the weaker player? Are they in a position where I can kind of take advantage of that? So um, like I said, there's two scenarios here. One, they are the strongest player on the court. So if they are a super strong player, you're going to have to take that risk earlier rather than later. So that might mean, poaching early to try to make them redirect down the line. That's something I like to do against strong players. If they're strong enough, then they're going to probably beat me down the line. Um, So in that case, we're going to have to redirect the ball at the weaker player as early as possible. So let's say I'm returning and the opponent is a really, really good player. Um, The first thing I'm going to try is to figure out, you know, which side, Is there a weaker return side? What type of uh, return do they struggle a little bit more with? And then can they redirect that ball down the line? So I might call a serve to the backhand and have my partner poach early. And let's see if they look comfortable with that down the line backhand. If they don't, we might continue to call that or run some formations to try to force them into that uncomfortable shot. And if they're missing three out of five, then we're going to win the majority of those points. Uh, If they are comfortable with it, if they're making that shot, then what we're going to do is I'm going to hit the serve to whatever their weaker side is. I'm going to force them to hit cross court so that I have time to uh, react for my first shot after the serve called the serve plus one. And then I'm going to take that first ball right at the weaker player as soon as I can, Um, even if I'm a little bit off balance it's probably going to be a, a better idea to go with that player in a lot of scenarios um, depending on how much weaker they are than the other player. But if that guy um, or girl is the strongest player on the court, then we want to avoid them um, as early as possible. So if they're not the strongest player on the court, if you can kind of hang with them or they're only a slightly um, only slightly better than you, then you can be a little more patient. You can wait for a ball where you're maybe inside the baseline, where you're a little more balanced, and then redirect at the weaker player. So, um, hopefully, this makes sense. But you're constantly you constantly have to be weighing the odds of, you know, is this the right time to redirect at the weaker player? Uh, the other thing you want to think about is, is what are the weaknesses of that stronger player? So if they have really heavy good ground strokes, maybe they're not quite as good at the net. So can you um, give them some slower pace balls? Maybe try to chip it and bring them forward, or try to lob down the line uh, and get them on their backhand side um, if that's their weaker side. You know what can you do to kind of mitigate uh, them hitting some of these heavy balls from the baseline? Uh, but ultimately, you have to figure out you know which matchup um, is best for me in terms of when can I go at the weaker player? So uh, hopefully that helps you out. Um, uh, Another thing that can uh, happen in this scenario is if you do start to find the stronger player's weakness or if you start to redirect at the weaker player and force some errors, that stronger player might feel like they have to do more. And in that case, you can often draw some errors and start to move more at the net, like I said earlier. Um, and draw errors from that stronger player. And they're they're going to kind of get frustrated because they're going to feel more pressure since they know they have to win the match for their partner um, and their partner's struggling a little more because they're a weaker player. So hopefully that makes sense. Um, Let's get to your next question about tactics against uh, no pace. So the second question from James is what's the best tactics to use against those who hit with a slower ball and play with no pace. My partner and I both are solid and fine. That's what our opponents often resort to. Many thanks. Enjoy your video analysis. Uh, James, thank you for the kind words. Um, so this is a lot of uh, what I talked about earlier. So go back and listen to the episode, the podcast episode on how to beat the lobbers and, um, Listen to the episode uh, that I did recently on how to use pace to win in doubles. Uh, And the big thing against players who don't hit with pace, especially if they're kind of pushing and lobbing a lot, uh, again, is to not beat yourself. So um, practicing against no pace uh, can help a lot. Um, I, for example, if you give me a slow pace ball to my backhand, I struggle with it a lot. It's something I need to practice. I haven't been doing it recently because I haven't had time, but um, definitely practicing hitting against no pace uh, can help a ton. You'll often see a lot of videos of pros playing where their coach will have a bucket of balls and they'll be within a few feet of the player and they're just kind of tossing the ball up um, just a couple feet in the air, letting it bounce, and then the players having to create all of their own pace because that ball was just tossed from two feet to the side. So practicing shots like this can help you um, generate your own pace and help you play better against players who don't hit with a lot of pace. Um, Another thing you have to think about is players who don't hit with a lot of pace, um, especially pushers and lobbers, they tend to like pace. So if you're trying to out hit them and hit the ball really hard and overpower them, That's typically how they're going to win. So usually if you can hit a slower ball against them, a lot of times they're going to struggle more with that and they'll give you that short ball um, that you need to step into the net and and to finish the point off. So experiment with hitting slower against uh, the players who do hit with no pace, especially since you said uh, you and your partner are both pretty solid. Um, try being a little bit less, uh, solid, I guess, try hitting a little bit less pace against some of these teams and see what happens. See if they're still able to, um, hit the ball with good depth. Um, what I find a lot of times is if you can kind of chip it short or, um, give them an off pace ball, they're going to give you an even slower ball. Um, cause what they're doing is they're hitting the ball slower than you. So if you slow down your pace, they're going to slow down their pace. Um, and it'll make it easier for you to get forward and finish the point off. So hopefully that helps, James. Um, Thank you all for submitting your questions. Again, if you want to submit your own questions, you can go to thetennistribe.com slash question, and I will have um, a few more answers to some of your other questions uh, in the next episode. So thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Doubles Only Podcast. If you're interested in diving deeper into any topics I discuss, I've created double strategy products that allow me to bring you more podcasts and other doubles content without relying on paid ads. I have ebooks and courses that help you make better strategic decisions during matches and become the smartest player on the court. Go to theTennistribe.com slash products to learn more. You can also join my free weekly double strategy newsletter that includes video lessons and more on our homepage. If you want to connect, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or email me directly, will at thetennistribe.com.